Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. Oh, the charcoal mask. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Hello, and welcome to another episode of I Weigh with Jamila Jamil. I hope you're well. I'm fine. I am, uh, yeah, I'm doing a new job. And uh, if you want to know what that job is, you can head over to my Instagram where I did a little announcement, which is something I don't normally do. But this job was so ridiculous that I had to, I had to just make a 20 second moment of it on social media because it's the, well, it's my biggest blag yet. And if you followed me for a while uh, online or you've been listening to this podcast, You'll know why it's so ridiculous for me to be doing this and how excited I must be and also terrified. Um, And that's the last I'll say on it because I'll just leave it to you to see if you want to investigate. Um, Okay, so more importantly, today's guest is exceptional. She is one of the great young stand-ups of our generation, I feel like. And her last special, Girl Daddy, is so inspired and funny and thought-provoking and just, oh, she's just great. I wish I was more like her. And I was thrilled when she responded to my slide into her DMs by saying, yes, she would come on to my podcast to speak about some really difficult issues and so I have a myriad of trigger warnings for you today but um my guest today is Beth Stelling and and I want you to know her first and way foremost for her extraordinary talent but people who've been following her career for a while may also know that she was the victim of assault of domestic abuse and she spoke out about it publicly years ago and it wasn't the assault I wanted to discuss with her today because God knows how many times she's had to bring it up and rehash it again and again and again over the years because that's what we do to survivors and also I don't ever want to re-traumatize anyone on my podcast. So what we did talk about instead and we ended up spending quite a lot of time on it was the aftermath of speaking out about sexual violence or any kind of violence that you receive, especially when you're a woman. And that is a subject just not often enough covered. We, you know, we, I mean, if at all, we offer attention to a case and we learn of the awful, grievous harm that has been done we don't really check in with the woman afterwards, after she's come out and bared her soul and been so vulnerable, knowing full well that there may well be so much gaslighting and and doubt and, and pain that comes with speaking out about something so difficult to talk about. And no one tracks whether or not 
that woman is okay. That, that victim is okay. That person is okay. That human being who went through something unimaginable is okay. We don't talk about the system. We don't talk about what happens in the public eye and which journalists are complicit in silencing women or discouraging women from speaking out. We talk a lot about how toxic the stand-up comedy scene is as Beth is, you know, now, I guess, kind of becoming a vet in that world. And she's been doing it for a long time. And I'm a huge fan. I think she's so smart, so funny. And I uh, I urge you to, once you've watched her special Girl Daddy, which is out now, uh, just go down a rabbit hole of her YouTube videos because she's so good and she will turn so many things that you believe in or think about right on its head in such uh, an unexpected and untraditional manner. She's very cool and I want to just remind you that if you are not ready to hear about intimate partner violence or sexual violence or abuse of any kind or gaslighting even after abuse if you're going to be triggered by any of those things then maybe skip this episode but if you are ready then please join me in falling madly in love with the excellent Beth Stelling Stelling, I have become a huge fan of yours via Instagram and then onto YouTube and then now onto HBO Max where I have found your wonderful special girl daddy. Uh, welcome to Iway. How are you? Oh, thank you so much for having me. I love how you say my special name. Yeah, that's <laughs> the first time I've heard it said like that. It's well, so a, much better. A little prim English accent. Girl daddy. <laughs> I love how like I'm so... Um, ruined by the internet. Even just hearing the word YouTube, I'm like, no. I know. <laughs> when you're like, I watched you on YouTube. I'm like, no, don't go there. I know. That's a it's bad so, part of town. But it's so good for <laughs> falling into a rabbit hole of someone that you that you sort of fall in love with over Instagram. Because Instagram just isn't enough, Beth. I was only yeah. getting one to two minutes of you. And I was hungry. I was hungry for you more. You needed more. Uh, yeah. And so I went down a whole rabbit hole. I think I might have now seen every video you've ever made. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I think that qualifies me as a stan and I'm so thrilled to have you here. Yeah. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on with you and, you know, I'm a fan of the pod uh, and you and... You're very kind. I, I make everyone say that. Um, I've been, honestly, I've been, <laughs> the only thing I've been dreading is just the end when I have to say... Oh yeah, what you weigh. <laughs> Just so you know, it's 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 not in pounds and kilos. I always have to remind people of that because I some know, people it's are so, so hard for me keen. to not make a joke and be like, I, I weigh myself in kilograms because it's yeah. less. <laughs> because it's I less love and the I don't patriarchy. Them. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we are. I guess we're kind of coming out of lockdown as a world. It's been a year and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, how's your head? How are you feeling? You, you all right, know, mate? <laughs> I'm not sure. Um, you know, there have been many times in my life where I felt like, you know what, how a, a dog will sort of like be on carpet and scoot around and like with its paws, like, mm-hmm. you know, trying to like get comfortable and like make a little bed. And you want to be like, bud, you know, the carpet's not going to move. <laughs> I sort of have that feeling often in my life where I just feel like I'm spinning a bit and moving and I feel like a lot's on my mind and I'm overwhelmed, 
uh, but nothing's really happening or getting done. And I think what I really just need is a job. <laughs> I think, I think I just got to get working again. And I did, I have worked of course, but like in my home and, you know, not all writer's rooms are back uh, in person. Yeah. And I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you. I mean, you who I am I to tell you how it? to look? I think you should sit in your own shit and cry. <laughs> uh, no, I, uh, I do. I, I totally know what you're talking about. And I definitely had the instinct like early into lockdown after I'd enjoyed that first month being like, this is fucking brilliant. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, I was excited to have a bit of, obviously the pandemic was not brilliant. The no, pandemic was I fucking know. terrifying. But this is before we knew how serious it was and how severe it was. It was sort of like week one and it was more people being afraid, but us not having any coherent results on like how terrifying and deadly this thing was going to yes. end up being. So I was like, oh, we're all off work. This yes. is so nice. I wonder if like people are going to learn how to relax for once. I hadn't had and, a weekend off in three years. So I was like, oh, this yeah. is fine. And Same. Soon, I was so excited to take the break. Yeah. But then soon I started to feel kind of this itch of needing to get back to work. And I'm sure some of that was because I love what I do. But I think a bigger part of it was the fact that a lot of stuff, as soon as I'm still, because I've had a lot of trauma in my life, a lot of that trauma starts to rise to the surface. And if Mm -hmm. I don't have anything to distract me or someone to blame it on, (laughs) then it starts to just take over my brain. And I, I, you know, was left in a situation where there was no work coming back and I kind of had to push all the way through to the other side. I think it was Homeland that had the tagline of the only way out is back in. <laughs> I, no! I kept, on, I kept on thinking about that. And I'm not saying that we should all, you know, delve into the deepest of our trauma, especially not if we're home alone and we don't have a support system around us. But no. um, but I do wonder, I, I am glad that I've I've taken some time to just delve into what those things that were making me uncomfortable, what made me feel like that analogy you came up with is so brilliant about that. That so is something that I resonate with of just never feeling like I can quite get right, quite get comfortable. There's yeah. always something um, stopping me, something in the between me and happiness or me and actually feeling something. Yeah. Um, but I think what I've learned from lockdown is that I'm going to try to not throw myself into loads of work when I feel uncomfortable. I'm going to try and force my way through it as carefully as I can. Yeah, I do know what you mean. I, I've always been like obsessed with poetry and quotes and things. And mm-hmm. one thing I loved was the quote, you know, I am not my art, mm-hmm. but then I, I always add to it because of what I do. <laughs> I just say, you know, I'm not my art, but it's hard to tell us apart. You know, yeah. I mean, I'm a stand-up comic. I'm very vulnerable and I divulge a lot of information about myself. These are my choices, but it's almost like I didn't have a choice, which is a Mm. theme for sure for my life and my childhood and what I, I'm, I'm like oddly a rule follower. Like I think because my art has been so personal and it's so interesting because there's a lot of people who think stand-up's like a joke or a lie or stories that you've made up. And for some comics that is, I just don't do that. And sometimes I overshare, you know, sometimes I share too much, but it's very much me and vulnerable. So instead of being able to walk away from a show and say, well, they just didn't like the jokes that I told about burritos or Mm -hmm. animals. They're like, oh, they hate me. (laughs) They hate my very essence. And so that can be detrimental. And so when the pandemic happened, I was so relieved. I needed a break. And also I filmed my special girl daddy, um, March 7th, 2020, the weekend before technically the world shut down. Wow. Um, 
and we weren't, it wasn't a dangerous situation. We weren't like, let's do it anyway. It was just like, yeah, this is, this, you know, like nothing mm-hmm. was threatening us to shut down. And so I was so happy to be like, oh my gosh, thankfully everyone has to stop. You know, like you don't want to take a nap as a kid because you don't want to miss out. And stand-up mm-hmm. comedy is a community in a lot of ways, but it's also competitive. And sometimes you, and social media doesn't help. So if you see everybody out working and stuff, you're like, well, I just filmed my special and I want to take a break, but I can't because everybody's on the grind or whatever. And it's, so when that happened, I was like, we all have to. But then a lot of people didn't, you know, they they were like, I bought a green screen. Mm-hmm. And you're like, no. <laughs> or like, you know, they figure out a way to do Zoom shows. And I was like, stop. And again, I understand why some people did it. I don't judge them. I just wanted that break. And then I went through a series of a lot of things. Uh, of course, the world affected me, the racial reckoning, mm-hmm. um, a lot of things going on in our world and all of us being isolated. Um so I felt like I really needed to be quiet and not say anything. So it even bothered me when other people wouldn't stop and just shut up and listen. So I had a series of emotions and definitely dealt with, um, at times feeling really, really low, um, and angry. And then I quit stand up. <laughs> you quit stand up? Um, yeah. It's, it's almost like, I mean, I did. Yeah. In my head, I was like, I'm done. I just want to stop because if I didn't say that, uh, it's always like a little tug, you know, like, because it's so part of my life. I was never the comic who like, if we were talking in conversation, I'd be like, oh, 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 let me write that down. I always thought that would be so rude. Like I would never let myself do that. I was always really trying to be present and I never wanted to be the comic who was always on because I felt that was annoying. Um, But still, I wanted the break, the relief. Because like you said, let's all stop and actually see if we can relax and rest. And I couldn't unless I said I quit stand-up. And I also got really angry too, just like in general, where I felt like, you know, in so many ways, I, my standup has changed over the years where I want to try to say more or something that's more important to me. And then I, and then, yeah, there's, that's a whole nother thing. What do you mean? If I should get into, I just like, I watched Richard Pryor's 1979 special in Long Beach that he filmed. It's on Netflix. And he was talking about you know, black men dying in chokeholds and the police brutality. And it felt like, really? Freaking 40 some years later, we haven't, not that. It's like, I want to help and bring light to things that affect me that I know affect other women, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if Richard necessarily was doing that for himself, but I'm sure it affected him and therefore he wanted to talk about it. And it just was like so depressing to me that nothing had really changed. So then to me that goes, what you do doesn't change anything. It's Mm. still happening. So that was sad to me. And then also everything we've dealt with over the years of how comedy, comedy continues to change. I actually did like a little round table with Jim Gaffigan, who's been doing it much longer than me. And he had several interesting insights about that, like how much it has absolutely changed over the years and will continue to. But there are comics who... Um, I don't know, aren't really progressing or open to that progression. When Some are so- actually leaning further the other way into yeah. the sort of like screaming anti-liberal. Mm-hmm. Not to say that you can't have different political beliefs, but I feel as though they're like deliberate shitting on, mm-hmm. on very like simple human rights issues. Do you yes. know what I mean? Look, I mean, liberals can be fucking snobs as well and incredibly offensive about the other. I, I get it. 
But mm-hmm. when you're talking about someone's fundamental human rights, it's not the kind of thing to make fun of and belittle and laugh at. And I feel like some people are playing to the easiest crowd because they're they're of the crowd of they're they're of the kind of old school of well, we just can't make any jokes anymore. And it's a bit like right. God, are you we- really funny if you if that's the only place you can find humor? Right, right. As Brian Regan, who's a comic who doesn't cuss, says, there's so many other words. Mm-hmm. There's so many other words. Why are you desperate to cling to like slurs? You know, why Why must you say them? And it's not just any comic, it's the white male comic. So it's like the majority. And then it's not all white male comics, of course. And there are um, outliers too, of course. But it's like you're in the majority. And I think you've not understood that, you know, like, I think because oftentimes they've gone through life unscathed. Um, and I'm not saying they've never faced hardship whatsoever. Um, but I think because they've gone through life fairly unscathed, um, nothing's off limits because nothing's ever hurt them. So they don't have any sort of personal attachment, you know, like to them, a rape joke's just a rape joke. But like, how about this? Richard Pryor has a rape joke in his, that 79 special. And I laughed at it because it's not from the perspective of a rapist. I mean, what are you doing? Like, why are you choosing to talk about those things? Is it because you just want to upset people or, you know, like everybody's so sensitive and like, it's just this sort of weird, you know, and then they will like somehow turn it on others and say like, oh, we're just like victim. You're playing the victim. And it's like, oddly, you're being the victim. Because the one time someone's like pushing back on you a little, you can't adjust, you can't change. You, you're you the victim because you're getting questioned. So it's you little, push back. Yeah, it's a little bit like when we Darbo. say that you should let, you should let babies and children kind of play in the sandbox because they'll be exposed to germs and if you don't then they won't be they won't develop an immune system right i feel a bit like that with the most privileged people in society i think we've seen that with celebrities getting butt hurt so easily and like calling cancel culture just because they've been complained at they haven't lost a job or any money or any kind of platform they've just been complained at and i think that certain people with high privilege have low immunity to push back Whereas I think those of us who are, you know, women or women of color or women with disabilities or trans, like, you know what I mean? Like just, uh, I think, I think the more, the further, yeah, the further you, like the, the further you uh, enter into the space of oppression, like the, the more immunity you have. And so therefore you're less easily, you let feel, you know, you're so used to, and it's so sad that it's this way, but you're so used to having things taken away from you. Or picking through the poison, meaning like, like, for example, sometimes when like all the comments, right, on a woman speaking of YouTube uh, are often men, right? See, this is why women aren't funny. Women aren't funny. This chick's not funny. Women only talk about sex. It's like, wow, King, everything's not for you. When Like that, you've gone through the world. Everything has been just, you think everything placed before you is for you. We're used to being like, oh, I got to avoid that. And I can't go there. And, and I'm, and I'm a white woman. I'm privileged in a lot of ways, mm. but I still understand that not everything's for me. And therefore I don't have to go but, and tell everybody yeah. how I feel. So it's just sort of like that part bothers me too. Where it's like, everyone has this understanding that you don't like all music. I don't go to mm. country music stars pay. I, mean, I actually don't mind country, but whatever they get, they get dragged enough. Let's say whatever. I don't even know. Slipknot. Thank heavy, you. Uh, go to their page metal. and say, like, this isn't music. So you have to admit that it's more than taste. It's misogyny. Because if everyone applied their same feelings about music and other art to, to comedy, 
they would understand that it's not for them or food you know we're not like oh indian food is bad some people just can't handle or don't like indian food right you're not allowed to just dismiss something as entirely bad and negative yeah that's so true i love that analogy i mean you've had a lot of experience when it comes to the pushback especially when you have been trying to talk about misogyny that exists in the world or in comedy or in relationships and you've spoken you know you've spoken in depth about violence and even violence that you faced and uh and while i know i want to be so careful of the fact that you do not want to be the girl who is known for that you do not want that to be your thing and the only thing that people want to talk to you about that when we were speaking prior to this you know you and i have a lot of similar experiences and thoughts on this matter and it's not so much that i want to delve into what happened to you uh so much as the aftermath Right. Of you speaking out about it. And I the main difference really too, when you and I talked is that I knew going into this, that that might be something that I, you you asked, you know, it was something I'm willing to talk about. So that's the main difference here is that I feel safe with you. I want to talk about it so other people have an understanding. And I asked not, for permission. Yes. And I'm not trying to promote a show in Chicago two years ago and blindsided by the word, you know, or something that's happened to me. Um, in, by an, by a reporter, and it's just like, yeah, it's very interesting how once you share something, then everyone thinks that you are willing and excited to talk about that same trauma. If you share something traumatic in particular, to me, it feels punishing. Want, even it's it's basically like, oh, did you want to be public about that? Well, um, that's the only thing we're gonna talk about from now on. Mm-hmm. And really, it's like very silencing to other women if that's the only thing I'm ever. Why would anybody want to come forward? after seeing what happens to women. That's why it's so, when they give that excuse of like, oh, women who, you know, come forward or or tell the truth about things that have happened to them, like regarding sexual violence, you did that for attention. It's like, what? Medical attention? I mean, what are you talking about? (laughs) Why would I, the reason even like, I feel like um, whatever, I don't know if we want to split it between the left and the right or whatever, but it's like the reason a lot of people who are more, I don't even know, empathetic, left, liberal, say things like that was so brave. And then, of course, the opposition is always like literally mocking that word. Like, you're so brave. It's like, oh, no, the reason they know it's brave is because they would never do it because they see what happens to people who do it. Like Mm -hmm. there would be it would it wouldn't be too far off for me to say, I wish I never made a peep. (laughs) I wish I never said a thing. I look at. I look at the other women who, 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 because I shared my story, then shared theirs with me that he also hurt. Same guy, mm-hmm. other women came to me saying, um, thank you. That happened to me as well, but I don't want to share, you know, almost feeling guilty towards me. I was like, oh my goodness, of course not. I would never, there's no pressure from me just because I've said something doesn't mean you need to, um, but I'm so envious of them because their lives look great. <laughs> you know, this is like six years later and it's like, I again, I'm genuinely consenting and happy to talk about it with you because here I am and we should talk about it because how am I, how are you to move on? I mean, there was a period of time where I even said no questions about that, please. You know, and then I thought that time would be over and nope. Two summers ago, I'm with my mom in Montreal for Just for Laughs and an NPR reporter talking, talking. I'm happy to talk about the festival. This or that, And then 
And it's just like a gut punch. It's like my, it's like a stab in my heart. And I'm like, I'm here to do my show and do my podcast with my mom. And it just, it sucks. It's triggering. It's upsetting. It must have been upsetting for your mother as well. Yeah. I can't believe people talk to people about that without any kind of warning. The lack of intelligence. It shows also that they are, they have not survived something. Yeah. I feel like because I've been through like sexual violence. I I mean, I would hope that's not why I'm self-aware enough to ask some for someone's consent to talk about these subjects. But before every podcast episode that I do, I always call up and I'm like, what do you not want to talk about? (laughs) Right. That's always my opening question. And the thing that's so annoying is because if I'm, if it sprung on me, I'm so, I, it's like, People who have experienced violence and have decided to chosen ch- chosen to talk about it publicly or tell the truth, it's almost like you have to be an expert on it. Like I felt mm-hmm. like I had to be the perfect victim to even come forward. That I had just enough power and just enough people knew me and knew my heart and knew I was honest and I had picture proof and I had him his admi- you know admittance of it in in writing and I you know, dealt with lawyers. It's like, I felt like the perfect, and now I can, people will believe me and still know. Of course I was very supported, but people don't send me stuff now as much saying something like, you know, thank you for doing that as much as I'll get an email to my website or a Twitter mention that says something like you ruined a man's life. And it's like, couldn't have done it without him. (laughs) Yeah. It's like so like and and I can block certain words and I do, but you know, I still rely on friends to talk me down. And I've even yeah. been tr- triggered by people who are on the left or what we love to refer to as like the left eating the left. You know, someone asking me to take responsibility f- for calling out someone else or and asking me to you you know and sharing. wait, wait I don't I don't know what you mean like someone like um so you oh I know what you mean so do you mean like if there's another comic who's done yes. something bad and they're like why mm-hmm. have you been so silent about this thing go after this person yeah as if that wouldn't then be further traumatizing for you as if that wouldn't right. bring your story back up that happened recently really around this time of my special um I was. Cause I came out with the team Coco slate cause Conan O'Brien produced my special for HBO max. Mm-hmm. And I was in a group of um, people. Uh, we didn't have anything to do with each other necessarily. Um, but in a press release, our names are mentioned and someone repeatedly tweeted at me, um, you know, you're being pictured with an abuser, you know, um, kind of do something about it. And why are they giving him the limelight Conan? I have five minutes ready to go. So that's sort of what I received. And I mean, it, you know how it feels, I'm sure. It's just, and I, this is the other annoying thing. I'm, I'm around the men who mock all the terms so much constantly that it's even hard for me to like be like, yeah, I was triggered. I was triggered. You know what I mean? Like we have men oh, in my field. It's already funny word. Yeah, we, I have men in my field, who, men in my field, my, my more famous colleagues, you know, mocking like brave and triggered and you did it. You know, like, and I was sexually assaulted. Like they literally are mocking. So it's like, even when I'm talking about a time where it generally my physical body reaction and me tweeting back at this person, which I should have stepped away from my phone. I should have called my best friend and she should have said, don't respond to that. Story of my life. But, but (laughs) that's the weird thing about Twitter. And, and again, so I did, I responded in a triggered fashion, which was, I can't believe you're taking one of my 
most things I've ever been proud of. And I, I, I can't remember exactly what I said, honestly. I mean, I'm sure I could dig it up. But it came across um, as, uh, as I was angry and, and I was upset. And I was like, how dare you take one of my accomplishments and make it about a man who I to- never chose to work with, have nothing to do with, and has nothing to do with my project whatsoever. And the person was like, said, so sorry. You know, I didn't think about it like that. It, I mean, like, this is the announcement of like something I've worked hard on, which does involve my own <laughs> sexual assault. So it's sort of like my own, in my own experiences in the world. So I'm just sort of like, I just responded upset. And then in the morning, her friend came after me, started hitting me with articles and how you victim shamed, you victim blame. But it wasn't clear to me that that person coming to me was a victim. And I don't know their story exactly, but, and again, this is me still being defensive. You know what I'm saying? Um, And she's basically sort of like at me, at me, like you have a responsibility with the amount of followers you have, blah, 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 blah. And I eventually just came and she's basically like saying, you need to do this and you need to do that. And so I'm, it's not helping. I'm still spinning. It's like, I, I stepped away the night before and then it wrapped me right back up again in the morning. And it's like, I'm fighting with this person who, who says, this is my least favorite thing. People say, you need to do some soul searching. (laughs) Please get away from me forever. I'm just sort of like, after all the work I've done to even still be on this planet because of that, don't tell me that, you know what I mean? Like, don't what? And so I, what, what, how it concluded was I admitted, I didn't understand that that woman was coming to me for help as in she was hurt by that man. It just felt like someone was saying, you're with an abuser. Why would you do that? You know? And so I was defending myself. But what happened was I ended up, of course, reporting it to the executives that I worked with and said, this is what what came to me, what was told to me and letting you know, um, and you should look into it. So it's like, that's all I can do, right? Totally, totally. It's a, it's a, it's a very interesting space to exist in. Once you are outspoken about one thing, people expect you to be outspoken about literally everything. And I think our instinct as women is to go, oh God, I must, I must, I must, I must. I think men are feel more inclined to just go, it's not my fucking problem. And no one should feel like that's not my fucking problem. But everyone should have a sense of boundary. Everyone should right. know what can I cope with. What is going to send me back down the rabbit hole of my own trauma. Like, yeah. what is going to re what's going to rehash like bring back the thing that happened to me because I'm speaking about this issue I had an experience of sexual assault everyone's going to start talking about that case from 2015 all over again and then I'm gonna have to see that all over that's basically you know, what I was worried those. about yeah exactly and so I think no one thinks about that this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Now listen, we all carry around different stresses, big, small, medium size, and a lot of us keep them bottled up because sometimes we just have to. But doing that all of the time can really, really start to negatively impact your life. And I say that from experience. I'm British. We are told to never say how we're feeling about anything ever. And uh, that's why so many of us are so sad. Now, a way that I was able to remedy that was by having therapy, which was super helpful for me, not only because it's amazing to get things off your chest, but also all week you know as you're bottling things up because it's not always the time or place to say exactly how you feel you know you're gonna get that hour 
where you're able to get everything off your chest and say it exactly as you want to. And this therapist isn't going to take it personally and they're not going to hold it against you or throw it back in your face during an argument over dinner next week. You just have this complete freedom. Honestly, I think everyone should have therapy, regardless of whether they think they need it, because it's so amazing to have a confidant. It's a journal that talks back to you and helps you with all of your problems. I think therapy is just a safe space to get everything off your chest to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. And if you're thinking of starting therapy, then maybe you should give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be super convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and then you can switch therapists if you don't like them anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com forward slash iWay today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iWay. Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean Every time. Because messes happen. Because... Hey, listen. Remember how you told me to toss those takeout containers before we left for vacation? And you were like, I'm serious. If that leaks over the counter, it'll be a slimy abomination by the time I get back. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Don't worry about it. I won't forget. (laughs) Well. Ooh, yeah. That happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Rinse after use if in contact with food surface. I do kind of want to return back to something that you said uh, a couple of minutes ago where you were saying that, you know, I, I wish I'd never spoken out about it. And I was, Which, I was wondering, do you, do you fully feel that way? Or is there any part of you that feels bad like, that you said something? I feel something? like that's me being like a little brat, you know? <laughs> I feel like that's me like I don't me think being it's a... you being a brat. I think it's a completely human feeling. I just wonder, you know, like I, I've spoken about my physical health before and then been gaslit internationally about it and then regretted ever telling people about my disability, you know, just I wish I'd never said anything. And even though it's meant so much to so many tens and thousands of people who have the same condition, I, there are many days where I was like, God, I wish I had never, I wish I'd never spoken about that. I wish I'd never been vulnerable. But I think if I were to zoom out and if I look back on my life when I'm 80, I'll still be glad that I'm someone who's so outspoken about these things. Yeah. Um, not that I'm trying to guide you towards you now saying the same. I'm just saying, I, I just wonder, because I think part of our responsibility, I guess what I'm worried about is that anyone listening to this would be like, shit, okay, so I should never come forward. <laughs> I think, and, and, and that also, and that's also totally fine if that's how you feel listening to this. But I also just want to say that our responsibility after listening to what Beth is saying what we have to do is change the system. We have to become more supportive of other women. We have to change the way in which we allow men around us, women around, anyone around us to speak of, even just in private, about people who come out and talk about abuse. We have to change the whole culture because if this is happening to people with as much power as myself or Beth, you can only imagine what's happening to anyone listening to this podcast at their school, at their office. Exactly. And I think that's just like, I guess the tough part is kind of like what I went back to saying there. I was really, I'm grateful to a lot of comics who supported me, who knew me, who's known me for years. And a lot of humans, individuals on this planet who, you know, shared their 
feelings and love and express their gratefulness. And I'm friends with a woman who saw it on the news and left an abusive husband. And we, it's like, I have a physical friend, you know, and yet it's so easy for me to get dragged down into a, I mean, like, it's just like, boom, and down into a sewer by looking at something that someone said to me on Twitter. And I even have certain words blocked, but sometimes things sneak through and it feels so cruel. And like, how could you do this? And I am a sensitive person. (laughs) And I think it's partly, I got to build a bigger, a tougher skin, but it goes back to like what I said about the brave thing. They say you're so brave because you are, you signed up for battle forever. And yeah. I'm not going to stop and I will keep trying. And if, if you, know, you feel like it, if you can handle it, like, you yeah, know, I've seen a lot of women who during the Me Too movement spoke out about their trauma and have fucking spiraled because they were like, right now I'm going to become the voice of all women. And yeah. now I'm going to go after every single story. And then I've watched their mental health absolutely deteriorate right in front of me. Because social media doesn't help and shame. The media twists everything and the, and, and the media is set yeah. up to not believe us. And I mean, this is, yeah, it's societal. It's a so societal I, do, I certainly don't want people to, I, I realize that that could have been <laughs> not sounded like the best thing to say. Oh no, it's fine. But, I just wanted to clear it up. That's all. Yeah. But, but like, you know, I had to separate myself enough from it to write jokes and like kind of going back to what I said earlier, like I wrote those jokes to, to combat the powerful men who were saying otherwise in my field. So I mean, I'm specifically responding to some of their jokes that they are adamant that are just jokes. And it's like, it is this, it's all intertwining, right? That woman on Twitter who's saying, I need to use my power to do this. It's like, Okay, in the same vein, I'm looking at these men with, you know, a hundred times more power than me, leading men in what I think is the wrong direction. So in some of my special, I am speaking to the men, like, please don't listen to them. <laughs> you know, yeah, like, I, I feel like it's a very, like your special is fucking brilliant. And I especially like, will you tell my audience how you say the word rape in order to, to soften yeah. it? <laughs> yes, yes. I just say, what's it called when somebody wants to have sex with you, but you don't, and they do it anyway? Oh, right. Yeah. No, I meant, I was referring to the fact that you say it in a thick Scottish accent. Oh, the way I first say it is, yeah, a lot of my colleagues are afraid of getting accused of rape. And for some reason, it's easier to hear in a Scottish accent. I don't know why. And Probably then I, not if you're yeah. Scottish, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but it yeah, does, I, it uh, does cut it a bit. It's just a for bit, so- yeah. It, it makes it, well, you sound like Shrek saying it. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, I've thought about some, you know, I think I just also perseverated on it, right? For many years, I tried to go into the topics in my stand up in a certain way that was too personal and my hand would shake and I would have to lock it here and my body was tight. Yeah. And um, I had to find a way for many years to tell these jokes and make them truly like funny enough to be bulletproof to my colleagues that hate what I'm doing. Because sucks, man. It so sucks that because they're hard aren't jokes. Supportive. Yeah, like be, think about it. There are tons of comics, male particularly, who look at Hannah Gadsby's, you know, groundbreaking special Nanette, and they'll they, you know, to their grave. That's not stand up comedy. And it's like, okay, cool. So you want to call people who are talking about their personal experiences or things that mean. Um, are important to them, social justice warriors. What do you think Richard Pryor was then? Who you all tout as your hero? Mm, what, he was, what he wasn't doing wasn't social justice work? I mean, 
it's just it's it's annoying to me. Yep, Chappelle. Yeah, you, Chappelle, you, Chris Rock from the start was talking about police violence, all of these different things, racism. Things that are like important to you. He wasn't just telling silly jokes. They were highly intelligent. That affect you because yeah. they are part of your everyday and they are freaking woven into you. And so you have to like find a way to like make sense of it and make it funny and take its power away in some fashion or make other people understand. And and I do, and I have to remember as for as many comments that are like, women are funny and this is why they say women are funny and blah, blah, blah. I also get comments from men and young boys that say things like I needed to hear this. And, and what I remember one particularly, some guy wrote, I never thought about it that way. I, I done learned through jokes. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's so sweet. And I like to I really be like silly that. too. Like I want to be silly. I was, I was going <laughs> to say enjoy being silly. Even though you talk about these really difficult subjects and you're special, you're so funny and you bring such Thank like you. you bring a levity without trivializing the issue and I think that's what I like I've seen it twice now and I watched it once by myself and then once with my boyfriend and just watched him like his brain light <laughs> up, just loving like you have a way of talking to people that doesn't pull any punches but also just makes someone want to see sense Thank you, you know what I mean that you there's there's this peace that you emanate on stage even though you don't seem to always have that peace yourself. You don't get to always benefit from the peace that you give others, but this like peace and confidence that you emanate on stage, I feel like it draws people in and makes them want to join you in what you well, think. I think you. you're so special. Everyone should go and watch this special. It's so good. Thank you, Jamila. Um, another thing I wanted to talk to you about is the fact that something that really pissed me off when we were talking is something that I can also relate to, which is that a lot of the journalists who spring you with really offensive, blunt uh cold questions about uh the accusations you've made or about the subjects that you are discussing that have happened to you they're women mm -hmm. it's a special pain isn't it when yeah. a woman comes after you and or a woman betrays you like that when a woman yeah. doesn't it's it like that same fucking woman has had to hold her keys between her fingers when she walks home at night <laughs> that same woman it's like even if nothing's ever happened to her which is hugely rare statistically yeah she's lived in fear of that thing happening to her so how could how could she how could a woman participate, especially in that area of conversation I guess because there, I mean, well, there were white women and also maybe some, like you said, something bad's never happened to them. And it's like, I guess I'm glad you get to live in that ignorance is blissful. That's what I said about the woman who was accusing me of lying about my illness. I was like, fucking lucky you. Yeah. Lucky you that you don't think it's possible for someone to have this many ailments and conditions or to live in this much pain like thank god i'm really happy for you right that you don't know what this feels like because you, you must not otherwise you would never say it's not possible it's such a privilege to think it's not possible to have gone through a certain thing to have been hurt by a certain person to have experienced something really shocking and horrifying it's such a privilege to think that's yeah. not possible and unfortunately I, that's often what it takes right for them to understand i mean I, I want to still go in that direction, but I, it made me think of this thing, which is I dated a comic um, just after um, my abusive boyfriend. And he actually, a couple years before he ever dated, got in trouble, you know, had a couple articles written about him by, you know, one of my favorite writers, actually. Uh, but before I'd read her work, but Lindy West. 
he's mentioned in the book Shrill for, um, and she's criticizing his rape jokes. And then he went on to date me. <laughs> and I think he hasn't told one since. Maybe um, from being near me and <laughs> holding me cry. I mean, is that all it took for you to understand like the deep and lasting pain that happens and, and you having to be someone's partner through that for you to not make a joke about it again? Cause like, he's a joke, man, you know, like jokes are jokes are jokes. And it's like, cool. Why are you telling them? Yeah. It's the whole like, oh, I'm a dad of two girls. So yeah, uh, yeah. but I'm a girl just, dad. Yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I'm against this, uh, but, I'm against all of this rape, uh, you know, like, you know, or I, I have black friends, so I'm against <laughs> this racism. Um, I want to, so I don't want to skirt away from that because I was going to say, because like the first, the second, the third time it like stabbed me, those things, I then needed to make protections for myself. So I told my managers, I can't do anymore. I can't do press for this tour anymore. And they're like, we'll just say that they can't ask about that. And I was like, okay. But then, like I told you, I was almost lifted over the years. I was like, well, I think we're okay. And then in 2019 in Montreal, and I, but I'm a little, I'm a little more apt to deal with it because I've been through therapy and I have that mantra, which is like, it happened I dealt with it. It's in the past and mm-hmm. I've moved on. But when this woman sprung that on me, um, kind of basically asking me about Louis C.K. at the festival and if I felt safe and because I'd been, you know, then she said, because you, you know, and starts to, she starts to talk, go into it. And I'm like, I mean, I'm like shocked that she's going in this direction because I was just speaking about so many just different other things. So the one thing I was able to say back to her was like, do you think that, Football players leaving the field after a game are just randomly asked if they were touched by Paterno. You know what I mean? Like, like what, where are you bringing this? Why are you bringing Louie to me? Why are you, know what I'm saying? Like, and she's like, that's not, that's completely different. And I just like walked away. But that was like the first thing I could snap out of my mind that I just thought of. But, and then later, and I wish I thought of this then I said to her, or I thought of the idea. It's like, how many men are you interviewing at this festival asking them what they're doing to make women feel safe in the green room now that Louis C.K. is around? Do you know, like, like probably not. Why don't you go ask the men what they're doing to make sure that he keeps his thing in his pants? Like, cause that, cause guess what? Guys would be shocked if a reporter said, Hey, you know, Louis part of the festival. Are you doing anything to make sure he keeps his dick in his pants? They'd be like, (laughs) why are you asking me that? That has nothing to do with me. Yeah. And it's like, it has nothing to do with me. But that is the whole crux of the issue. I, you know, I think when we spoke previously, I told you I'd had this this brilliant man on the podcast just two weeks ago. Yes, Dr. Dr. Katz. Katz. Yeah. And he his whole life's work is about educating men specifically to understand and therefore end their violence against women. He doesn't, he rejects the term violence against women because it is passive and it doesn't have like a protagonist. He, he insists on it being called men's violence against women. And if it's women's violence against women, then we call it that. And if it's men's violence against men, we call it that. But we never leave out this sort of like, we never leave out the end, the, the antagonizing person yeah and I think that's so important I never thought about it because if you if you make it sound passive then it's like this terrible thing that happens to women yeah she got ard yeah she got rrrred. yeah and 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 uh she, she is a battered woman yes rather than this person battered her right or even just like I, I I listened to his work um and listened to your podcast with him and um 
I, the other point too, he brought up, you know, the teen pregnancy, this many women, these many teen girls are pregnant. It's like, who do you think did it? Yeah. They fall pregnant. <sighs> what kind of terminology is it? Well, you don't fall. I mean, I fall over. Then it just makes I've, you wonder, right? You're just like, how insidious is it? Was it a mistake? Is it just like baked into our culture? And that's why that's been going on so long or what? What you mean the language, the yes. language. Or, or, I, or I is think it it's all deliberate. part of the plan? <laughs> I think it's deliberate. I think it makes people uncomfortable to hear about it. I think it yes. makes it look like the people involved in our incredibly corrupt justice system uncomfortable. So they're like, let's change the terminology so it's not so explicit. Because if it's mm-hmm. explicit, then it'll be harder to deny. Yeah. I think that that's, I do think it is very deliberate. Um, what an uplifting podcast episode this is. <laughs> <laughs> Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because I the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Do you think? Do you think you will go back to stand up since you? Quote, I, unquote, have, quit? I have. I have. Yes. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yes. I That's have. Good. I, and you, you've spoken before about how, and I was wondering, you know, when you were saying like, I just need to go back to work. You've spoken before about stand up not being an equivalent of therapy, but kind of, I don't right. know. Sometimes being therapy adjacent, and sometimes re-traumatizing you. Yeah, which also absolutely. Can do. I think um, some so many people um, neglect to realize, even comics themselves, how powerful repetition is out of your own mouth. I mean, if you wake up every morning and look in the mirror say, and say, you're beautiful and I love you versus I look like crap and I hate my face, you know, like mm-hmm. it's powerful. So if I'm on stage every night or three times a week saying I'm poor, I'm so poor. Like this, I'm speaking of my old days in Chicago, right? Um, I don't do this. I'm fat. I have this, whatever these things that, you know, as a young woman, you might find negative about yourself or, you know, dragging yourself down. It's powerful. Repetition's powerful. And words are powerful. And so I think choosing what you talk about is so important. So I'm at the point now where I'm going, what do I want to be saying and saying a lot of? Because I feel like I'm not done because I'm still dealing with green rooms full of men that are terrified of getting accused of rape. I shouldn't say full uh, here and there. There's not a lot of scared of that. Yeah. Yeah. I shouldn't say all. Um, but yeah, it's still, still hearing it, I should say, from a handful of comics. Because I've also heard the exact opposite from some very powerful comics saying, I'm not scared at all. Why would I be? Because they haven't done anything wrong. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. It's always very interesting to see who gets the most afraid of it. Yeah. My boyfriend doesn't walk through this industry being terrified. He doesn't like, he isn't afraid to work with women. He's not afraid to go into a room with a, with a producer or a technician who's a woman. He's actively always looking for women to be able to work with and, and be able to like share production stuff with and, you know, just do, and to yes. collaborate with. Because, Our friend Monica, when they, yeah, when, exactly. They, yes. Yeah. We Monica have a mutual Martin. friend who is now going to be on his next record, which is so exciting. Um, and he never, ever has the, 
has the thought before going into that situation, God, I really hope she doesn't accuse me of sexual assault. Yeah. Because it doesn't, because it's just not, I mean, <sighs> the odds of it happening are like being struck by lightning. The odds of being falsely accused of something are truly that rare. He's a good guy who knows how to keep his fucking dick in his pants and yeah. his hands near to his pockets where they belong. Yeah, and be a professional in the arts and it's possible. It's so easy and so possible. It feels like a bit of a mess right now to me, to be honest. Just everything. How am I, how am I moving forward? Like I mentioned, I'm, I don't equate myself with Richard Pryor, but my, to my point is I see those jokes and at the base of it, man, I wish more changed, right? So then I write my jokes and it's like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> I'm still in a green room, you know, two weeks ago and these things are getting brought up. So what do I do now? Do I choose to talk about it some more and, and, and say things like, um, are there any rape accusation survivors in the crowd before I get into this? You know, like, what do I, what do I do next? Like, what do I, is that what I want to be repeating? Is that what I want to be repeating? Look, man, even if you never talk about it again, you've done so much. You you did something that that very few people have the ability or or privilege or or gumption to do. And you've spoken about it for years and you've been so open and honest. And I think one of the things I really loved about the first time you ever really spoke about it in depth, which was six years ago was the fact that you talked about the fact that it's it was complicated, you know, that it was a complicated situation that even after the the worst of the violence had occurred, you stayed, you stayed with that person for two months and then mm-hmm. left. Like that it's not, you know, it's not a perfect situation where you left immediately and then you and went even, to the police and the helicopters, you know. Right. Like, and right. even my even my desire to be believed and be so worried that people wouldn't believe me. Do you see how specific I got? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I felt like I had oh, to tell 100%. every oh, detail were, so you, you were, understand you were, that I'm not you lying. Ready. Yeah. yeah, you were you were you were ready for someone to be like, but you stayed with him for two more months, so it couldn't have happened. Exactly. Like you, were, you were you were uh you were pre um what am I trying Meditated? to say? Meditated? Premeditated? Yeah, you were, no, yeah. you were preparing. Oh. You were preparing oh, yes, yes, yes. to be gaslit and to yeah. be shot at. And and I think that what you said was so important. And I think it it resonated with so many people that bit specifically because there is no perfect victim. You know, there's no, just like there's no perfect crime. Like you you don't always handle everything perfectly in the moment. I sure as shit didn't when it happened to me. I stayed with that person for another eight months and continued to allow it to happen. And I'm this, you know, strong feminist. Exactly. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong with, if there's women listening here trying to leave and have it. Nothing wrong. It happens. There's many reasons to stay. I mean, like I work with the YWCA of Dayton, my hometown in Ohio. And it's like, sometimes it's a pet. And there's nothing wrong with you. Like, you know, sometimes people stay because a a loved one or a pet, you know, that's not that that's, there's nothing that we can't relate to or understand about that, you know, or Mm. worried or fear. There's just so many reasons, but you know, another aspect of it has been said to me again recently by another comic. Oh, well you did. Cause you wanted revenge. You you said it, you said it publicly because you were mad. Right. By the way, this is someone who cares for me. Who's kind to me who said that. And and they said, well, you did for a rent, revenge, right? Because you're angry. It's like, I, first you of all, I didn't even name I, the person for starters. No. Other people named him later. Exactly. But like, you didn't name the person. You were just trying to, 
get something off your chest. Because I was asked to keep it a secret and I wanted to talk about it. And I also needed to get it off my chest. I needed help. I also saw, um, you know, him driving another woman's car around and I worried. Um, I had heard he was seeing another person in our sort of community of comedy and I, and I worried. And I, and, um, of course I reached out to a mutual friend and just said, just so you know, like, I want that person to be careful. And then it was later that I said, you know what, I'm just going to say it. So I don't have to tell every single person that says, what happened with you guys? And why aren't you at this thing and this or that, you know? And I was like, no, I'm going to get it off my chest. And it's not Mm -hmm. because, and to say, and there's nothing wrong with me being angry that he was fine or seemingly going on with his life. And like, it didn't happen while I was the one who was supposed to keep it a secret and Mm -hmm. be in pain. So there is nothing wrong if I had anger, that would be fully justified. But no, I didn't set out to ruin someone's life. I I loved that person and I wish that they got help. And it's, then it's also my job as, you know, to have compassion for my abuser, someone who's not well, and I want them to be well. I hope I wish that they would get help. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I feel the same way. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's an odd thing to think it was tactical to harm them rather than just to liberate yourself. Right. No one ever thinks that we have an entitlement to self-protection. It's always considered overreaction. Yes. You know? And, you know, because I am a feminist, it doesn't mean I hate men. I date one. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're painted as like this sort of anger, an angry person uh, wanting to ruin people and hurt them. And it's just like, No. That's not the case at all. I'd like us, you know. You'd like all... no one to be in pain. You just yeah. don't want to have to carry the hurt. Yeah. Not even just by yourself. You just don't want to have to carry the hurt at all. Yeah. Yeah. I complete. I completely understand. I completely understand. The gaslighting is really extraordinary. Though, you know, I told you this, I think, over the phone, but when I was assaulted, uh, the thing I was told by our mutual group of friends the following day, because I was really shaken up, was, yeah. oh, no, but he's so good looking, like... One of them actually said that, you know, like he's hotter than you. Uh, So he would never need to. He's got girls throwing themselves at him all the time. Like, why would he ever do that? And it it kind of made me doubt myself for a minute where I was like, I can understand that. He is better looking than me. And, uh, you know, I guess, uh, I guess maybe, uh, maybe I just didn't say no loud enough or cry enough. You know, like maybe I wasn't. I, I know. wasn't violent enough. Like I wasn't violent at all. I went completely like dead. Right. You know, I, and, uh, so, yes, I understand. Yeah. And so, you know, cause I think you, you always worry that you're going to die in that situation. So sometimes you just, you don't fight. I'm also like, I have the strength of a, a newborn baby. So <laughs> wouldn't be very effective, but they told me that. And like, that was the reaction of people who knew and, and loved both of us. And that's and so, I was it's so, very upsetting. It's, you know, it's extraordinary. And that, disappointing that, 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 that look, I didn't, I had, you know, I had similar things of, um, I, I mean, in the morning I Googled what is an abusive boyfriend? Uh, Cause I, and I, it's almost just like I needed to see it before me. And as time goes sometimes because of the, you know, like I mentioned, the people that stay are the ones who are mean and doubting. So then I, it creeps and it creeps and does more damage than I think I had to put like, honestly, it probably wasn't the healthiest thing, but before our podcast yesterday, or, you know, we were planning to, I mean, I dug up old things from lawyers and stuff where it says what he did because he wrote it and admitted. So I, I, and to see that I go, Oh yeah, it did happen. It was bad. I, Mm -hmm. over the years I've begun to not even sometimes believe myself Mm -hmm. or like 
it took me having those documents in my hand. So it's sad that time can even eat, eat away at that, let alone people who cared for you and said those things. I mean, I had a friend who he actually sort of started separating me from in our relationship and actually saying um, cruel things about her appearance and things like that. And she was the one who said, oh, well, are you sure that this like, what, what happened? She feels guilty about that to this day. But then yeah. after I clarified and explained the whole situation, she stayed with me for four days. You know, like there isn't a perfect way to deal with it. And sometimes, you know, I guess the lesson here is if someone does come to you and try to share their story. Um, just the, listen, just shut yeah. the fuck up and listen and ask how you can make them feel better. Yeah. That's really we are, all that needs to happen. The doubt, don't try and the doubt will come from pretty much everyone else. And mistakes happen, right? Again, another loved one, we were just, it was in... Uh, on a job, they said, well, you know, you can't rape your wife. Somebody said that. And I was like, oh, you can't, <laughs> you know, like that happens a lot um, to people. And he was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I said that, you know, and uh, you say things sometimes and you just learn from them and go, oh my gosh, I was wrong there. I tried to write a joke about that where it was, it's like to, to explain intimate partner violence. It's like, you know, someone going into a bank with a handgun and putting it up to the teller and saying, give me all my money out of my account. And then they call the police on you and you're arrested. And you're like, what? It was my money. It's like, yeah, but it's the way with which you did it, sir. That's such a great analogy. <laughs> you can't. I'm going to use that. That's so fucking good. That's so fucking good. <laughs> oh, I'll tell you, it doesn't work on stage. <laughs> <laughs> Well, like we said, it doesn't mean it's not funny. It doesn't mean it doesn't work. It just means it doesn't work for everyone, right? Yes, yes. Uh, I think you're I think you're so smart and and cool and clever and I'm Thank so you. grateful for the work that you do and amazed at how you are able to find the humor and the funny analogies in all of these things. I think sometimes because you're funny when you talk about these things sometimes. And I guess that's kind of why even though I quipped that it's like, oh, this is an uplifting episode. It is also right. nice to hear the more serious side of you. But I, I always find it really frustrating that because in particular a woman, or if you have a, a black person talking about racism in a humorous way, like Chris Rock, because they're saying it in a funny way, people presume that it didn't hurt because they're able to joke about it. Sometimes that's the fucking coping mechanism because it's so fucking painful. Yeah. What advice do you have for young people listening to this? Like be them victims, not victims, people who yeah. know victims. Like, is there any kind of, and you know, take your time with answering this question. It's a big fucking question. But is there is there anything in particular you want people to know or to consider? I want things to be less divisive. You know, like I, just because something happened to me and I was honest about it doesn't mean I don't believe in redemption or healing. I mean, Same. I'm not someone who is looking to, I would like to bring light. It's my job. As um, I got that from Jim Gaffigan. I got to credit him. But it's like, I want there to be more peace. Like, I think, I forget what it was. I don't want to drag the wrong person, but like Holly Re Reporter or something did something like the battle of the sexes. And it's just sort of like, that shouldn't be my field. It shouldn't be male comics versus female comics. It's just sort of like, we're fundamentally asking for help. If you yes. go back to, and I've said, I can't even imagine, we should do like a sort of um, drinking game of how many times I've said this on this podcast. But <laughs> anytime you go back through history, unfortunately, <laughs> after, pro after a certain amount or level of protesting of the oppressed, we still at the end rely upon the final mercy of the oppressor. 
however much we fucking hate to admit it. And so I very much so consider a part of my work, not just demanding the change, but also knowing that I have to beg for the mercy of my oppressor to -hmm. let me be, to let me walk down the street after sunset and not worry that I'm going to die. To, you know, to not spend every single second of my day wondering if I'm safe. Every time I open my door, wondering if the person on the other side is going to hurt me, you know, feeling unsafe in my bed when I go to sleep at night in case I haven't locked one of my doors or locked all of my windows. Like I, I'm begging for mercy from, from men. Yeah. And so like Dr. Katz said it, we need more men to be brave to use the term that they hate. We, you know, like um, we need more men to be brave and sort of like speak up and help us out. Well, I look forward to more of your work. I'm very happy that you have not given up stand-up because uh, mm-hmm. I love your stand-up. Honestly, you. you are one of my favorite comedians. And Thank you, Jimmy. I, uh, I'm so honored to be able to also access this very like serious conversation with you where we were able to talk about these things so bluntly and I thank you for being willing to still talk about this with me in spite of how many fucking times you've had to talk about it already Beth (laughs) Jesus fucking Christ but this was the angle this was the angle that I feel like we don't talk about enough is the aftermath like very much so because you wanted to go away afterwards yeah you wanted to go away and or you want to be treated with dignity and respect afterwards and very few women are well thanks for doing that mate and before you go, would you kindly tell me no, no. the question you're afraid of answering most? <laughs> Beth Stelling, what do you weigh? <laughs> okay, I, because I told you I'm like a rule follower and stuff, and I'm just going to mess it up or something. I'm like, right. how do I value myself? Like, how do I phrase it so I, I just don't want to get it wrong? But here's my goal, I guess. How do I weigh myself? Like, how do I want to see myself? is through my friend's eyes. My friends, I wish I could just pop into their brains or get behind their eyes and just watch them watch me for a day because they love me. And I just want to (laughs) be, feel, I just want to understand why. (laughs) I just sort of like... That's so sweet and relatable. (laughs) I feel like so many of us feel that way. (laughs) So yes, I want to weigh myself through how my friends see me. All right, yes, I weigh myself through how my friends see me. Did I do it right? I'm, yeah, there's no right way or wrong way. Uh, I won't ask you to go into the specifics and then brag. Uh, although I love it when women brag. I, it's truly, I think it's my religion is women bragging. Um, if you ever get to a point where you can love yourself as much as your friends, please come onto my podcast again and brag. Brag for an entire hour. I would fucking, it would be so revolutionary to hear you just brag and fucking brag and brag. Even the way you spoke about your body image, like uh, in your special was just so like... I love that where you talked about having body dysmorphia, but the other way around where you oh, yes, think reverse. you're slimmer than you are or whatever. Like, right. I don't know. But like the, the, the matter of fact and confident way in which you talk about the way that you look or how you carry yourself or, you know, I don't know, like different periods of your life where you've weighed right. different things and you were fine with that. And, and that's changed over time, of course, right? You know, like because yeah. of time and age and I've changed as a human and I'm just settled. I'm settled in, but you know, um, yeah, I, whatever I've like, you get it. You change as a human over time. And so your jokes change and your perspective changes and we should all be allowed to do that. I used to be much more self-deprecating about my weight. Well, I'm glad that you're, I'm glad that you're not. And, uh, like I said, when you feel ready to come on and brag, 
uh, let me know. But thank <laughs> you. This has been such a pleasure. And I thank so you. appreciate you. I appreciate you too. Thank and you. And I'm just going to call me. you right after this. So I'm, I'm needy. So <laughs> goodbye for <laughs> now. Goodbye <laughs> for now. <laughs> thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. I Weigh with Jamila Jamil is produced and researched by myself, Jamila Jamil, Erin Finnegan, and Kimmy Gregory. It is edited by Andrew Carson, and the beautiful music you are hearing now is made by my boyfriend, James Blake. If you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. It's a great way to show your support. We also have a bonus series exclusively on Stitcher Premium called Ask Jamila Anything. Check it out. You can get a free month of Stitcher Premium by going to stitcher.com forward slash premium and using the promo code IWAY. Lastly, over at iWay, we would love to hear from you and share what you weigh at the end of this podcast. You can leave us a voicemail at 1-818-660-5543 or email us what you weigh at iwaypodcast at gmail.com. And now we would love to pass the mic to one of our fabulous listeners. I'd like to say that I weigh, as everyone would say, their family, their friends, their to my intelligence, my love for movies, my love for dancing, my love for, for languages. I love learning languages. I'm obsessed with learning as many as possible. I weigh my humor. I think I'm funny. I wear I weigh my creativity. I weigh my love for travel and I love my way and I <laughs> I love my way. I weigh um my love for connecting with other people and um yeah all right that's it really (laughs) thank you love your podcast reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing uh (laughs) <laughs> That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Start clean with Clorox because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because. I have a charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed.